Welcome to the great conversation where ideas matter. Ideas shape markets. Ideas can change the world. One of, uh, we have mentioned over and over again in many of our uh, conversations with key leaders across different vertical markets, across different disciplines, that we're at this inflection point right now uh, where technology is converging and advancing and helping us make more than ever good data-driven decisions. And we're always interested in thought leaders who are advancing that in their disciplines. And so we were able to track down uh, Dr. Reed Hayes, the director of the Loss Prevention Research Council, as well as a research scientist at the University of Florida to kind of get into his journey in making better and more advanced data-driven decisions within his uh, purview. Uh, Dr. Hayes, great to have you on. Oh, wow. Thanks so much, Ron. Uh, this is exciting for me. Well, as always, it's a great conversation, unscripted. And, uh, but I would love, and I'm going to, uh, I asked permission before this broadcast to call him Reed. So I, I'm going to uh, start it off by saying, Reed, I, I'm really fascinated in the journey. Where did you start with your, um, your insights into data-driven decisions? And, and take us all the way up to the present, if you don't mind. Sure, absolutely. I, I you know, I, uh, as a youngster, uh, sixth generation Floridian, which is pretty rare, um, we grew up hunting and fishing uh, throughout Florida. Um, I wanted to be a wildlife officer, a game warden, if you will. And so I had interest in the law enforcement part. I, so at, during college, my first year as a freshman, as an 18 year old, I got a job as a store detective, um, made, making something like 425 an hour, um, catching shoplifters, which was wild. Um, woolly and the training was just a pamphlet if you will um, but I but I stayed interested I got to go to the uh, Orlando Police Academy independently and get uh, a couple of undercover jobs uh, sworn in as a deputy sheriff or law enforcement officer in a little drug task force and do some crazy things but I got into loss prevention again um, after I got some of that out of my blood um, and and went to a company Jay Byron's it became Ross Stores um, rose through the ranks there and uh, was offered a directorship and a contract to be the vice president. Uh, again, this is back in the day in the nineties. Um, and so, uh, but I saw all the time the a total and complete difference between what we did in law enforcement as practitioners, what we did uh, as practitioners in loss prevention now uh, also referred to as asset protection. We just kind of did stuff. A lot of what we did was probably right or close a lot was probably wrong and not even close. Um, but my father and grandfather being physicians, uh, they seem to have a little better grasp on things and a lot of it was their training. But the idea was evidence-based practice um, and the idea that what the decisions they made, whether they were diagnosing or they were treating, uh, by and large, were science-based. There was some logic, a logic model. Hey, this, this domino seems to knock this one, knock this one. So I need to I'm now going to treat one or more of those dominoes, you know, those aiming points. Um, and then I'm going to get evidence from a lot of people around that uh, that are conducting rigorous research, whether it's observational or even better randomized controlled experiments or trials. So, but in, I, I would segue back to what I was doing. And I mean, you know, we had a pamphlet here and there saying, look for somebody with a baggy coat and so on. And we were doing the best we, we could and we still are today. Um, but I knew there was a lot missing and that lot, a lot was probably science 
And a lot of what we now need to do is use the same type of sensors and other technologies that our medical practitioner counterparts use to diagnose and treat. That's, that's just fascinating. And uh, if we look at it now, here you are at the University of Florida, you're running the Lost Prevention Research Council, and we take that word sensor, devices that are aggregating bits and bytes, how have you um, integrated technology into your science base, your ev evidence-based workflow, if you will? No, it's good. And we use, by the way, evidence-based or science-based somewhat interchangeably. I, I'm now grown to be a little more an advocate of science-based just because science denotes, again, there's some logic. We're thinking this through and there's a model or a framework or something, some kind of mechanisms that we think are related. Uh, and so we're going to devise uh, what we do to prevent or, or mitigate that or cover um, but, and now we're going to test that rigorously. That's where the evidence comes in, the observations. So science is, you know, logic and, and observations, um, and not just observations and not just logic models. So, uh, but how do we incorporate it? Well, again, I, I always go back and draw on all these journals, medical journals I would read, which is kind of scary in hindsight that somebody at that age would do that. But um, I learned from there that that's how they operated, that, you know, their businesses or practice their business. Uh, if you will. And so we do the same. So uh, we look at what's a good day for a bad guy, you know, whether that bad guy is somebody that's trying to, uh, and they're all trying to harm somebody um, in the moment, or maybe it's premeditated, but they're trying to harm somebody. So that, that bad guy, and we refer to them as the red person stop versus the green, which is illicit or, or, you know, the plate, the place user that we want the employer, customer delivery or whatever. Um, what's a good day for that bad guy? Um, if they're a, a porch pirate, if they're an armed robber, if they're somebody that's there to intimidate somebody or to steal or commit fraud, regardless, and all those are very different, even burglars that enter through the roof are a lot different than somebody throws a brick through the window or hides behind and so on. So we'll draw out all the steps or stages that we believe that a good, a bad guy needs for a good day. Those are aiming points left of bang, you know, before the event, the event and right of bang. Now let's identify each step. Those are aiming points. And so you mentioned sensors and, and uh, technology. Well, we need to know something. We need to know something they're saying or doing, uh, their movements um, and so on, who they're communicating with and so on. So that's where we place our sensors, right? We're trying to learn how, what sensors we need, aural, digital, visual, or combinations of course, where we would put them, how we would use them, but what are the, what are the data they can get gather for us? Uh, and then how can we use AI uh, in some form uh, to pull meaningful, actionable signals from that uh, and refine what we're gonna do uh, to prevent, you know, to deter, disrupt or document at each aiming point. What I love about this story appreciated is your science-based uh, process is really a logic model. And what you did, what's fascinating is what you did is said, we're going to have a logic model. We're going to have a science model, a framework in which uh, to do these things, what we do, but then we're going to apply that same science model to the bad guy. We're going to get in that person's head and then we're going to align those models and, uh, and, 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 and therefore create new and innovative new ways of seeing the data and uh, and uh, preparing for a right and left a bank. Did I get that right? 
I think you nailed it, Ron. And, um, and, you know, we all draw on our experiences. And so I go back to when I was an 18 year old catching shoplifters and I still have physical scars on my hands and arms, but uh, to under, I always wanted, why, why are you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Or why are you doing it this way? And then when I was undercover, talk about needing to get into somebody's head to stay alive, much less to kind of get an idea, map it, gather evidence and do all this, you know, while you're right in the midst of these people that are, are pretty scary. Um, and I learned how difficult it is for any of these people. And I started wondering, why are these people not in the least deterred or disrupted in what they're doing? That's the problem. That's how. That's what my whole job then and now over the last 20 years as in the research area is just what you said. How do I get in their head? But what I'm trying to do is help them make better choices. And I can't do that by shaping their genetics. I can't do that by, um, you know, affecting their home life or their peer groups. But I can do that by shaping the environment that they come into. Shaping the environment and, and, in a sense, behavioral modification. <laughs> That's our goal, and uh, we're getting better at it. But there are components there that I can talk about. Yeah. Well, um, you mentioned something, and this goes back to a, a working group, uh, an industry working group I'm sitting on right now, so it's kind of front of mind. I've been a student for a long time of neurolinguistic programming, and that's the idea of recognizing Different, um, different physical uh, behaviors, if you will, kind of data sensors, watching a person's eyes, looking at their face, uh, how they use their body to understand how they're consuming information. And I've always said, you know, in the best of all possible worlds, it, we will begin to adapt machines, if you will, systems, technology solutions that can do the same thing. And you mentioned something really interesting sensors picking up what they're doing, oral, visual, digital. So in this working group, it's called intelligent communications. Where are we taking the, ver the various technologies that are in and around uh, audio and uh, uh, voice recognition? What are we doing today to start deploying that within the uh, security program? So what are you learning I'm just kind of intrigued. What are you learning about the oral, visual, and digitals state of technology today and where you think it might be going? Big, well, load, big loaded curveball question. <laughs> that's right. No, but it's no, it's a good one. And um, I, I think the first, you know what, the first response I've had, and I still do a little bit, is wow, I thought we were farther along than this. Yes. Um, and so in November of 2020, and nobody's ever going to forget 2020, but in my case, I got moved from the College of Liberal Arts and Sciences, where you would naturally suspect somebody that was a social behavioral scientist would be over into the, to the Wertheim College of Business at UF and a top ranked team. Um, and the reason was to pair, hey, let's pair this guy that kind of uh, tries to understand why people do and don't do things or do it this way uh, with all these people trying to understand technologies. Um, and UF were very blessed, but NVIDIA, um, Cut, uh, came up with the largest investment in artificial intelligence in any academic institution in the world. So they have delivered uh, a $70 million package to UF here where we are. Uh, and that means we've got the most powerful uh, AI compute of any academic institution anywhere on the globe. Um, it's up and running. Hypergator 3.0 is the massive, massive uh, compute system that we've got here now layered in with big, big GPU packages from, from NVIDIA and others. Um, and so 
uh, they additionally are hiring, and this is wild in this day and time, 100 incremental faculty here that are AI people. That, and they're putting them in every department across campus here. And we're one of the only campuses in the U.S. where everything is on in one place. So you can imagine the multidisciplinary opportunities we have for research and development. Um, and so they're, we're taking advantage of that. We are, we have every, my team, we have every other week calls with NVIDIA. Uh, they curate those calls, whether we're talking at the meg, the macro scale, the smart city scale, we're looking at the meso, that transition, or we're at the micro, that parking lot and that interior space combination there. Um, and so, all right, what sensors do we need? How do we put them out there? What are we trying to pick up? What's going to make sense so that we can better safeguard initially and provide a much better user experience for everybody that we want there? Boy, I bet most of the world do, does not know of this $70 million investment, 100 faculty, even more impressive, integrating that faculty in a cross-multidisciplinary uh, way, uh, because that's, that's, that then uh, uh, avoids the silos of excellence we usually see in academia. Very impressive. I, who, who came up with that approach and that idea? You know, I'm not exactly sure. And you can imagine, I don't want to get in trouble. Now. I, but I, I understand that our president, uh, the provost, who is, is, you know, the chief academic and research officer, uh, UF research and on and on that. But also our uh, dean of the College of Engineering, Cami, she uh, has been very, very, very focused and knows how to bring together the right resources and aim them. And she was one of the first looking at cybersecurity, got a huge, huge multi-million dollar investment from the state of Florida to build a very powerful, um, which called FIX, but it's the uh, cybersecurity research team here. Um, not my area of expertise, even though I work with those guys. So uh, that's where it came from and where it's going. It's amazing. They're building an entire new data science building. You know, it's this very comprehensive package. We're also communicating or coordinating with the community colleges and either uh, and other Florida universities and then even K through 12. And finally, the historic back, black colleges uh, throughout the Southeast uh, so that it's not just a UF. We really want to bring everybody in and, and move at light speed, but and do good things. Such a gap in performance of academia from grade school on, on truly useful skills in the marketplace. So if you're successful, you'll be, like I said at the opening, you'll be changing the world. So congratulations. Tell me about this project that you posted on LinkedIn uh, that you're doing today is kind of an example of almost like a story behind this huge thing you're part of. Uh, tell me about the tower that you've constructed. What is it and how, how do you see it being used? Sure. So our team's mixed method research. In other words, we do a lot of deep dive interviews with offenders in the wild, right? Out there in stores, parking lots, wherever, uh, where they fence and so on. And we do this a lot and done it with robbers and all. We do big data dives, right? We'll get let's say the three major drugs chains in America that provide us all their data around all their robbery events for say the last 36 months and look for aiming points. And then, then though, what we do is now let's, let's come up with much more focused, precise uh, solutions and solution sets at each of those aiming points that we've identified. Um, well, we, some of these things we're, they're not ready for prime time, right? So we actually need some lab, lab spaces. So I've got five physical labs one that looks like a, a very cool tricked out store. We've got over 130 different security technologies in there from over 70 uh, different technology companies. Um, the guys you know out there, the Bosches and JCI, Sensormatics and Checkpoints and on and on. 
Um, but in that, and we also, because we're in the real world, we want to have that transition from interior. I even have a mocked up parking lot inside uh, where we can fail fast and forward and all these terms you hear um, and learn how to integrate. And then we move out to the parking lots. And so UF research there, they were talked into, you know, they allow me to use this entire block called Innovation uh, Square. Um, that's uh, about two blocks from main campus or 2000 acre campus. Um, that's my lab, that whole block, including the huge uh, incubator building we're in for startups. Um, and so I use this parking lot that's by and large abandoned. And I have that thing with all types of sensor technologies to protect each, the sensors first, <laughs> each other. And then I've got three of those towers you're referring to from live view. Uh, they have everything from LIDAR and radar sensors to aural sensors. And of course, all types of day night video um, that we can do different interesting things with. Um, but it's all there to safeguard the place users um, and inform those. Uh, so we use them as research platforms to learn more about normal versus anomalous behavior. What are two or three or four things we want those cluster of cues instead of acting on one. Um, and then we also use them as deterrent or countermeasures. And they were deployed, uh, the enhanced versions during the looting um, and other pretty wild events. But Walmart, Kroger, and other major chains use them routinely now in different areas to safeguard their, their customers and associates. Wow. And so uh, because inherently loss prevention is associated uh, a lot with retail, uh, are, are the big retail companies also helping to fund this or participating in uh, the results of the research? They really are. And so there are, the LPRC is a community of over 150 corporations, right? So we've got 68 major retail chains, the big guys, right? The Bloomies and Macy's and Nordstrom's and to the auto zones and family dollars and uh, you know, CVS, Best Buy, all those guys. So we have 68 chains. Their vice presidents are the members. But their teams in the corporate office and in the field work year round. I have three uh, other criminologists on my team, three research scientists. They facilitate seven working groups that they meet at violent crime and, um, you know, product protection through data analytics, through innovation. And they interact throughout the year um, with our scientists and each other. They come up with new projects. Uh, we've got supply chain protection and, and so forth. So that's how they interact. That's how they fund. They each pay a certain amount every 12 months, all 150, 60 corporations. And that's, that all goes into the kitty. That's what we use to build and operate the labs and have a world-class team. Very, very good. Let's, uh, let's uh, archive this uh, podcast at some point. We'll revisit it in five years and we'll be having a different kind of conversation there. Let's do a little predictive. Um, it's always dangerous, but in five years, how will the world change because of your contribution at the uh, research center at the UF, how, how will the world change? You know, I, I think one point that's gonna be interesting is we all have, uh, everybody's got an opinion. Uh, how well informed it is or how logical it is, is always open. But, uh, and so I think let's look at some of these technologies, AI, for example, whether, and so if we're trying to understand what if somebody's coming our way? So the, our starting principle here, and this is what I'm hoping to change, our starting principle where we begin when it's ethical, equitable, and so on that's out there um, and, and privacy and these things is our first mission, our obligation. It's the most moral, ethical, and equitable thing we can do is to safeguard those people that are there using that place. Um, and so if, if what if somebody posts and they've got a handgun and they say, I'm headed to XYZ location, 
and we don't just work with retailers, by the way, but I'm heading to X store to settle up. Now we have a heads up, but if we're not out there trying to understand and, and we don't have crawlers or some sensor way to know that, and then maybe define possibly the validity of it, we can have a real problem, right? I mean, deadly problem. Uh, and further though, what if that individual's image, we could pick up there coming in a parking lot. And so that manager has a heads up. They can decide what they're going to do or not do, but they have a heads up. They could lock the doors. They could abandon the place. They could get law enforcement help. Uh, but if they don't know, because somebody somewhere is concerned about privacy. Um, and so we call all this value exchange VX, right? It's not a new term, but the idea is all day, every day, every one of us exchange some privacy to get convenience or entertainment, or in this case, safety and security. We give it up. We give it up all the time. And so our headwinds right now, and always will be, but maybe in five years won't be as serious, are, well, what about privacy? What about Big Brother? Our, again, our contention is I think we can do, and I know we can do these things where we can better safeguard um, and understand value exchanges. And if people better understand you're going to be safer or your loved one that is there visiting, shopping there or working there. Um, it's amazing when we do those kind of real world surveys, people are like, I'm all behind that. But that could be a, a privacy. That's their problem. My concern is my loved one. Uh, very interesting. So we, like every other technology advancement known to man, at some point we cross the chasm and we learn to uh, trust it uh, for things that safeguard us, give us more convenience, give us more performance in our company. That's very good. So let's let's call that out for a second because you got towers on the campus. Uh, you've called them innovation zones, I believe. And so when the students and the faculty come into these zones, you, they know what you're experimenting with. It's, it's right out there in front. What is the reaction to the prevailing culture right now based on what you're doing? You know, it's really interesting. There are those that are kind of against everything. And so uh, they might have a negative comment. And we've seen a couple, not, not as many as we might think. I've grown cynical in my elderly phase here of life. But, um, but you notice and we map this, right? We have geospatial statistics. We can see parking patterns. Guess what? Some of those same people park next to that tower. They don't want their vehicle to be messed with or themselves or their loved one that might be with them. Uh, so that's how we do it. We go with uh, empirical evidence, right? And so if we launch our drone and take pictures of parking lots, not just our test one, but in real store environments, we move that tower to different places at night we see clusters. It's not the most convenient place to park. They start moving to the safest place to park. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Uh, uh, as I used to say around parenting and also about um, uh, process improvement, don't believe what people say, study their behaviors. They'll tell you what they need. <laughs> there you go. Couldn't say it better. Very good. This has been a great conversation with Dr. Reed Hayes. Uh, Reed, should we be uh, uh, putting in the description of the podcast uh, links to the Research Center? What, what would be the most appropriate place for people to go to learn more? Right. I think, yes, it's uh, lpresearch.org is the best place to go. Um, it's a very comprehensive site. Uh, you can always, of course, Google Reed Hayes or LPRC or anything else, but um, that's probably the most comprehensive site. And what I didn't mention in my opening remarks about Reed is he's also a prolific author in the loss prevention space. Reed, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much. My, my uh, pleasure. I loved it, Ron.